You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Love Talk Live. Today I have with me on the phone, William Arnst. Well, are you there? Yep. Okay, say hi, William. Oh, hello. It's William. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the show. And I have in studio with me Michelle Schneider. Hi. Thank you for having me. So she's here to enjoy and contribute to this beautiful conversation that we have with William Arnst. And he is extraordinary, first of all. He's done so many things in his life. Um, and I'm going to just tell you all about him. He just wrote a book called How to Suffer in 10 Easy Steps, which sounds interesting and it's meant to be funny and we're going to get into that because apparently we all suffer. I don't know if you knew that, but oh, apparently that. we me. all <laughs> suffer and it's part of being human. So I'm going to read to you guys a little bit about William and then we'll get into the topics. William Arnst is a physicist, software entrepreneur, filmmaker, and author. He wrote simulators for the early Star Wars program, created software that the Fortune 500 world runs on, created the What the Bleep Do We Know movie and books, and co-created the Book of Visionary Prophecies, the not-so-little book of surprises with Deirdre Haid. And then now I'm going to read to you a little bit about this book before we get into it. His newest book is How to Suffer in 10 Easy Steps. You gotta be joking, a book on how to suffer? I do that without any book. <laughs> exactly. We all suffer and yet rarely do we address the issue directly. The one thing everyone does is rarely talked about. We talk about the external. We talk about the events and people and conditions that create suffering, but hardly ever talk about the internal, the state of suffering itself. Bringing suffering out of the closet and into the light is what this book is all about. So, William, can you tell us what was your inspiration to write this book? Where did it come from? Why do you feel like it's important? And um, just tell us about it. Okay. Well, the book, it's a, it's, first off, let me say it's a complete surprise to me that I actually wrote this book. It's not like I was intending to write it or I, you know, had been contemplating it for years. What happened was about um, two years ago, I was walking through the living room and my wife, Deirdre, was, um, her back was out and she was laying on the couch. So I walked by, I was trying to cheer her up. I said, honey, would you like to maybe to go into the kitchen, uh, have some to eat, have some Chardonnay or something? And she didn't say anything, she just laid there. I said, uh, uh, Deirdre, what, what do you want to do? She goes, I just want to lay here and suffer. <laughs> yeah, and that was my reaction, just like you. I just laughed, because no one yeah. says that. Right. And I said, what? You just, you just want to lay here there and suffer she goes she kind of stirs a little bit she goes i just want to perfect my suffering <laughs> wow i love it it's so real to which i said someone she had perfect my suffering i said oh someone needs to write a self-help book how to suffer and there it was it came right out of my mouth like that i was just joking and and Deirdre and i we, we know a lot of people in the self-help movement who've written a lot of self-help books and so you know, I'm always kind of making fun of them because they, I mean, they are very helpful, but they, they promise the world and it's going to be easy. And generally, it's not easy. I mean, how to be infinitely successful. 
in five easy steps. It's not, it's not easy. It's usually very, very hard. So I kind of make fun of that. So I said, yeah, someone should write the self-help book, How to Suffer in 10 Easy Steps, to which she sort of rolls over and kind of chuckles, and the two of us just start riffing on it. You know, oh, there should be a suffering hall of fame. Oh, there should be a lo- love songs that hurt. Oh, this, oh, that. So we get going on that, and we're, we're doing that for about 10 minutes. Meanwhile, by now she's sitting up, and we're both kind of laughing, and she's ready to go into the kitchen and have the Chardonnay, and, and there you have it. And so it's one of those, you know, you have these crazy ideas at night, and you think, well, that was just a crazy idea. I'll wake up the next day and forget about it when I come to my senses. Well, a month later, I'm still thinking about this crazy book, How to Suffer in 10 Easy Steps. And so I start writing it more or less just to have fun. I figure I'll send a couple, you know, pages to friends of mine and we'll all have chuckles over it. And and that's really it. And as I started writing it, I just kept writing. And as I kept writing, I realized, oh, my God, there's a huge subject here that no one is really addressing. So sort of the satire and the humor continue, but as I got more and more into it, I realized, oh my God, this is really something, and a year and a half later, the book was written, and here we are. I love it, So, and I, I love that you're bringing humor into the reality that we suffer, that it's part of human, it's part of being a human being. So I feel like, I don't know you that well, but just from seeing you, it seems like you have a natural ability to look at the humor in things, and so do you feel like you just wanted to kind of share this with the world, maybe the importance of having a sense of humor? Well, I mean, it, it's, um, I just love to make people laugh. And, in fact, my wife, Deirdre, is always, you know, we go in these social situations, and if I can say something that's going to make people laugh, I say it. Half the time it's relatively inappropriate, which makes people laugh even more. Um, <laughs> So part of it is I just like I just like humor. I like the irony of life, you know, looking at, at things that way, sort of tongue-in-cheek at times. Um, so that's a big thing. But then, like I said, as I started going more and more into it, I realized that this was the subject that people, myself included, um, really don't deal with directly. And because of that, that creates a problem. And I know you talk about in the book how suffering is the gorilla in the room and that people don't talk about it. So can you tell us about more? I I love, I feel like it's very innovative of you to say that. So what, why do you feel like people are not comfortable talking about suffering? Well, there's a couple of reasons. There's, there's one is that, um, you know, you ask someone, oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How about you? I mean, there's that whole interchange where, you know, people want to put out an image like they're doing well. Um, so part of it is because you're always putting, you want to put out this image that things are doing well for you, you're on top of your game, you're your hot stuff, um, that then people will tend not to, to mention that. Um, some, because you're, when you say that, it's interesting. I mean, just try it. You become very vulnerable when you say that. How are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm suffering. Um, you become vulnerable, and, and people are often not comfortable becoming vulnerable. And there's a certain social uh, stigma, I would say, taboo, about really bringing it up, because often the, the feeling is, if someone says, oh, I'm suffering, they, they, are they expecting you to you know, ask what's wrong, and people are afraid they're going to get into a whole 
the whole sad story and they're going to feel uncomfortable. So there's just so much uncomfort. I mean, the, the state of suffering itself is very uncomfortable, obviously. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, don't necessarily want to, you know, share that with with someone. So because of all those reasons, um, people just don't really ever bring it up. I feel like it's kind of ironic because when we are suffering, we are sometimes we feel disconnected and maybe lonely. So it's ironic that we don't talk about it because when we talk about our suffering or our upset or our sadness that and our being vulnerable, that is how we connect, right? Mm-hmm. So right. and that everybody suffers, you know. Yes, that's, exactly. That's the bit that was the gorilla in the room. I felt. I mean, I'm I come from uh, a mindfulness background, and I ended up going to my first uh, silent meditation retreat several years ago, and that's when I was. Uh, introduced to the the noble truths like you talk in your book about the buddha and the first buddha's noble truth is we all suffer and it was it is one of those like connected this tissue between all of us you know making you feel like okay this is nobody's getting nobody's getting through this you know we all are born to die and we're all in this together why not have the conversation yeah talk about it so i love that you wrote this book well, um, yeah, and it's kind of, um, it's, it's almost I can't take any credit for writing it in that, you know, sometimes the universe just assigns stuff to you. Um, and again, I just, I had the crazy notion, and then it just, it just wouldn't leave. Hmm. And so I, I know to follow that when it, when it happens. So, um, yeah, I think it's something that people don't address. Another, another thing about it is that, by not addressing it, it's an internal state. Mm-hmm. People generally, when they are suffering, they latch on to the external. Oh, my boss did this. Oh, my lover did this. Oh, the the uh, the guy read red light and crashed into my car. You know, they, there's all this external stuff that people talk about. But what's really happening is it's, it's all internal. Mm-hmm. Suffering is in in the end is internal. I mean, even pain, when you do, something happens to your body, um, still that pain is internal. And the, the way that you relate to that pain really has a lot to do with your choices and your belief system. So, yeah. um, you know, we have, we have more say in our suffering than I think people realize, mm-hmm. which, again, is another part of the book. Yeah. Yeah, and what you're talking about is basically owning, owning up, basically, and not being in victim right. mode sitting in your suffering or and there's a quote there's a quote that I found that I feel like fits into kind of what we're talking about about owning up you know you can choose to be the victim or not so you say on page 74 you say if it's someone else's fault you are a victim and as a victim you get sympathy attention special treatment and so on in fact many people live their entire lives as victims just to reap the benefits some even go so far as to enact faux suffering and then forget they are faking it and go on to experience the real thing. Why? Because of how the brain neurologically hardwires habitual thought patterns. Others set their threshold of suffering so low that simply get out of bed in the morning puts them in suffer land. I love that because mm-hmm. it's so true. Yeah. Yeah, faux suffering. Yeah, faux suffering, and then you, and then again, the the, the brain yep. maps that. In fact, 
I sort of stumbled upon this one concept in the book, and that was that a lot of suffering is a habit. Mm-hmm. Because yes. you, yeah. you just, you know, in the get past, I mean, it starts yeah. with childhood, infancy, really. You know, when you don't get the, the food you want when you want or the toy you want, you just cry and you're miserable and life is horrible. I mean, those, those neuro nets get in there. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote the chapter on Buddha, who in his enlightenment said he finally wasn't going to suffer anymore, he finally beat and figured it out, I call that Buddha kicks the habit. <laughs> yep, um, love it. Because it's kind of humorous. And also, the idea is that, that a lot of the suffering that we go into is just habitual response to things that have happened in the past. So mm-hmm. again, by owning it and bringing the awareness to it, you know, you have a chance of not just falling into the old habit. Mm-hmm. And so this makes me think of, okay, so people that are watching this are probably thinking, well, so what is your advice, basically? And you have 10 easy steps. So how did you come up with 10 easy steps? Well, the 10 easy steps, that was, you know, when we were first riffing on the, this roast of self-help books, I just came up with 10 easy steps because often self-help books. In fact, I looked up at one point how many self-help books had 10 easy steps, and there's dozens <laughs> of them, a lot of them. Yeah. And the so funny thing is that it's not that was kind of an <laughs> yeah. arbitrary thing. Um, it could have been five easy steps. It could have been 20 easy steps because... Um, the thing is, if they're easy steps to suffering, you know that because no one wants to suffer, yet everyone does. So it must be pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. I just sort of came up with 10. And then when, as I was creating the book, um, started thinking, okay, what are the ways in which we suffer that's really easy? We just, like, fall into it. And those were the ones I came up with. I mean, someone else could come up with 10 other ones also. Mm, I love it. So you talk about the sufferometer. What is a sufferometer? Well, first off, it's it's pronounced a sufferometer. Sufferometer. <laughs> it's like my Chicago accent. It must be because I'm from Chicago. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, su- sufferometer. Um, yeah, the sufferometer. Well, I wrote a chapter called "The Pseudoscience of Suffering," where I I sort of analyze it. You know, I, my first job was as a physicist. So I have that sort of nerdy analytical uh, side to stuff I do. And so I sort of turned that loose on suffering, and I have charts and graphs and cycles of suffering and all that kind of thing. And um, I come up with what I call the threshold of suffering, which we can talk about in a bit. But at the end of the chapter, I said, well, any science, even a pseudoscience, needs some sort of metric in order to gauge what you're doing so you can analyze and chart chart your progress or whatnot. And I said, so therefore, we need to have a sufferometer that measures your suffering. And I sort of did it just, you know, it's kind of fun to have a sufferometer, ha, ha, ha. And as I kept writing the book, I started thinking, well, actually, this could go on the sufferometer, <laughs> and that could go on the sufferometer. And after a while, I had I had this thing created. The, the big dial in the center of the sufferometer is from 0 to 100. And the idea is that you, you put it to how much you're suffering at that, at that moment. Now, mm. my wife and I put one on the – we each have one on the refrigerator. That oh. seems to be the place to put them. <laughs> and, yeah, the idea is, you know, you come down in the morning and, and you know, you look at your spouse's sufferometer and it's up at about 95 <laughs> You know, that's not the day to bring up certain things. <laughs> Take really out the recycling can. Not, not that day. 
Yeah, yeah. If it's up at 95, it's like you don't even want to be in the kitchen, maybe, yeah. or just make the coffee and split. You sent and her flowers that day. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So That's brilliant. Um, it is brilliant. So brilliant. Th- that was, like, useful, but, it, I mean, it's a silly concept, but actually, if you if you actually do it, if you actually say, okay, how much am I suffering on a scale of 1 to 100 right now? It's a very interesting exercise, and at first, it's not that easy to to peg it, to gauge. And so, that's that was the beginning of the sufferometer, and then I came up with a part of the sufferometer, which is the wisdom wheel. And the first half of the book is the ten easy steps to suffering. The second half is the six slippery steps to end suffering, and they're slippery because. You can you can take them too far and it doesn't really work, but things such as uh, non-attachment, judgment, forgiveness, surrender, those type of things, are, are in the wisdom wheel. And so, to use the wisdom wheel therapeutically, which I've actually done it, it actually works, much to my surprise, is you set what suffering you're at, and then you say, okay, what what wisdom am I going to employ to get out of this state? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then you go and you set your wisdom wheel. To what you want to, what you're going to do, and then you come back a little later and see whether that actually that worked or not. I love it. Do you ever get people that you talk to that you come in contact with that are just so upset and so in that suffering state where they say, "Okay, yes, I understand that this can work, that these tools can work. I, I know the tools, but I just don't want to, or it just, it just feels so much better. Like you're right, so you, I just I want to from, suffer. I know people like that, unfortunately. Yes, yes. and so what, what do you say for people out there that maybe are watching that are, like, that are thinking, I do believe that this can work for somebody else, but maybe not for me. What do you say to the, the people that are the naysayers, the people that you know, don't really want to, they want to sit in their suffering? Yeah, <laughs> the, it's almost like they get so comfortable there that it's hard to imagine actually being on the other side. What's your inspiration to say, what would you say to somebody like that? Well, first off, I'd say, oh, that's easy step number six, do nothing. Mm-hmm. That is one <laughs> of the easy steps, do nothing. Yes. So you just sit there and, and kind of wallow in it. So at that point, you know, if someone, if someone just wants to sit there, then that's what they're going to do. But the thing to realize is they've then made a choice. The choice may be to do nothing. But the thing is we have more choice in this Mm -hmm. than is immediately apparent. Now, I mean, there's extreme tragedies. You know, a loved one gets taken out in a car accident. I mean, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. You're going to grieve. And Yeah, you're going to grieve. And in fact, in that point, there's something of of the grieving, as as you know from the work you do, that, you know, people have to grieve. Yes. You, You have to, you have to you have to live in it. And so in that case, like what Deirdre did that time on the couch, I just want to lay here and suffer. There is times when you just you just suffer. You just go into it. You experience it. You don't try to uh, divert it. You don't try to turn it out with drugs and drink. You don't try to do it by, you know, driving 150 miles an hour. You feel or it. whatever you, you do to escape it. it. You know, you need to sit there and and grieve and really experience it and it turns out as you know as you experience it like that you'll move through it quicker Mm -hmm. yes once you allow yourself Mm -hmm. to feel but there to answer your original question to the people who say well i just don't you know i just want to 
stay there and say, well, you're going to get your wish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then you will. Mm -hmm. Or you yeah. can see that, I always say to my clients, you just need to see a, a little glimpse of light. If you can just see that little bit of light and just go with it, then the rest of the, the beautiful light that's waiting for you, well, you'll be able to get there. But you just need to see a glimpse. Mm -hmm. And when people are really, 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 really on that, you know, the low dark side level, it's hard for them. But if, you know, just whether it's gratefulness or... Yeah. I just wanted to say when I was reading your book, I really appreciated you talked about that ebb and flow of how, like, we get to a such a difficult place in, in the world, but then there's the, the opposite, the cycles. You've talked a lot about cycles. And uh, I think just, you know, right now where we are, it's easy to get in that suffering mode or, where, you know, what was me or what's going on? The world is this, X, Y, Z, you know, there's shootings, there's this. It's, it's, it's an easy place to get into a sad place. You know? But to know that there's going to be the light after it. Yes. Yeah, you get into these, everyone gets into, so we all get into cycles. And then unfortunately, with with the, the suffering cycle, it can just be gets more because as, you, as you're suffering, you're down because of that. You don't feel like doing anything because you don't feel like doing anything. If something, if an opportunity comes up, you just it, it just seems negative. Yeah. So there's points at that where you just kind of have to use your willpower. Mm-hmm. Use your awareness that you're, I talk about that, that, when you're in that cycle, you use your awareness. Say, oh, I'm, I'm just in the cycle now. Mm. Yeah, I feel lousy. I don't want to do anything, but I'm just going to exert my will. Mm. It's like, um, you know, sometimes I don't want to exercise. I don't want to, I know I should. My body wants to <laughs> Sometimes or I all the time. I don't want to do it. And you just start, and then it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing, thing about willpower, Let's that you it. can you know, use the willpower to break these cycles. Yeah. Just okay. physically, if you need to just physically get yourself out the door or to the gym or mm -hmm. to that meeting. Right. Or for other things, it could be, instead of the physical things, it could be a um, psychological or a spiritual thing. You could say, you know, I'm really just miserable and miserable and miserable because there was a storm and a tree fell on my house and it's going to cost $50,000, and I'm just really miserable, miserable, miserable about that. And then that's the point which, on the wisdom wheel, there's surrender. There's mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it. You didn't create it. It happened. Feeling miserable about it is not going to do any good, and so you just have to accept it. I mean, you have, to, have to surrender, fly. say, okay, this is, this, you know, Rotten thing happened to me. Rotten things are happening to uh, people all around the globe all the time, just like good things are happening. And, oh, well, today was my day. Yeah. I love that you just on. said surrender because I feel like when you surrender, you stop fighting. You stop fighting because you wish it could be different. You wish it could be different. But then once you surrender, you just say, it's acceptance. And you just say, okay, it's not different. This is This is what it is and just... Well, every, everything is harder when you fight it, right? Yes. It's just so to let go and flow. Is yeah, you're fighting with the flow. Mm -hmm. But if you can just allow it to flow and not fight. Mm -hmm. I love it. Now, surrendering is actually one of my slippery steps to, um, uh, to get out of suffering. And the reason I have these slippery steps is on the one hand, like the example we've just been talking about, the, the surrender is really good. But there's times when you should not surrender because... 
you know, there's a, a problem. You know, my the example I use is the, uh, you know, in the early '60s, the the black Americans getting on the on having to sit on the back of the bus. Someone should have, you know, and people said to some some right. of the people who were staging the protest, you know, just accept it. So, Andrew, this is the way the, the, the society is, whatever. And they said no. So there's times when surrender, it's slippery because there's times when surrender is not the choice to get out of your miserable state. It's exactly the opposite. You don't surrender. You say, no, this is not acceptable. I am right. not going to put up with this. Right. And I'm going to do something about so it. Gonna... Yeah. Well, so that's why all of these things, all these techniques, mindfulness and all the uh, uh, attachment, non-attachment things are very valuable tools, but you have to use some wisdom in when to employ them. And that's, in the end, people say, why is there suffering? You know, in the end, I think it's to give us wisdom. Mm. And also, I love that you're talking about having non-attachment to the outcome. I was just, I had a session yesterday, and my client was talking about a scenario, and I was trying to invoke this wisdom upon him about having no attachment to the outcome, whether it's a date, a meeting, anything, ordering lunch, and it's a hard concept to teach somebody. And the only thing I could offer him was just start practicing it. Because when you, you know, kind of when someone first hears that, they open their eyes because they, they've never heard it before. So what would you say to somebody who's never heard it before if they say, how? How do I have no attachment to the outcome? Well, that's... that's uh... Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, the first thing that came to mind is you say, well, first off, you, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So you, you really, really don't know. You can, you can worry about it. You can have anxiety, which causes a lot of distress. But you don't really know what the outcome is going to be, number one. And even the outcome that happens, you're not quite sure if it's going to be good or bad anyway. Um, there was this thing that uh, uh, in the book that I wrote about this Chinese proverb that's very famous, and, and I'll just tell it very briefly because it answers this. And basically there's a guy, he's a farmer, and um, he's got a son, and they have an old broken down mare that plows the fields. They just barely have enough to get by. And at one point, they get up in the morning, and the mare has run off. And the neighbors come by, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Your mare's running. You can't get it back to the field. The farmer goes, could be good luck, could be bad luck, who's to say? Well, about a month later, the mare comes, comes back, and following the mare is this young stud. And the neighbors are like, oh, my God, look at that. You got your horse back, and now you have this young horse that can plow your fields. That would be really, really great farmer goes, could be good luck, could be bad luck, who's to say? Well, then what happens next is the kid is like, oh, he's so excited, he's got this horse, he's riding around and riding around, he falls off the horse, breaks his legs. Oh, the neighbors come by, your son can't work on the farm, now you're going to starve. Dad goes, could be good luck, could be bad luck, who's to say? Well, the neighbor warlord decides to attack that country, and so the, uh, the local warlord goes around and signs up all the sons for military service and probably going to get killed and can't take the son because it's broken leg. Oh, such good luck. So anyway, <laughs> the story goes on and on like that. 
but the idea is that, and I found this so much in life, that things happen to you. Sometimes things happen good to you, and they're good. Sometimes good things happen, and in the end, they're bad, and vice versa. Mm, I love it. So the anxiety that you have, someone will have about, oh, gee, I'm so attached to, you know, I just called this person up, and, you know, we're going to have dinner tomorrow night, and, gee, I hope they like me because I like them, and all that anxiety. You know, you, you just don't know. I mean, it could go great, and it's the worst thing that ever happened to you. Um, and vice versa, or it could go great, and then it's the greatest thing. So in the fullness of time, so much of what we each think of as good and bad, oh, that's positive, that's negative, doesn't work out that way. So once you grab onto that concept, the idea that you're sitting there worrying about it, it's kind of foolish. We waste so much time suffering. Suffering, yeah, and worrying when the outcome... I believe is already planned anyway. So trying to control, I think that's the, the thing that comes up with so many humans is that we try to control. We feel like, and that's it's kind of like control and then surrender. We feel like we have control over the outcome when there's only so much you can really do. And so to just relax into life and to know that there's only so much control you have and control is really illusion mm -hmm. and illusion anyway. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. So to kind of just, yes. Now, on my sufferometer, one of the things I have at the bottom, I have these sliders um, where you can you, you know, slide back and forth, and one is a time slider saying my suffering is it in the past, present, or future. In other words, if you're, if you're upset about what someone said to you two days ago and embarrassed you in the office, then it's the past. If you're having anxiety about the future, that's the future. That's the one slider. The other slider is the creation slider. And it goes from the one end that I created my reality, so I created everything that happened. And the other, the other end of the slider is SH, stuff happens, although usually don't yes. stuff <laughs> broadcasting, so you, everyone gets it. So that's the thing, and sometimes it's just that. It just happens, and there's nothing you can control about it. So it's, it's interesting when you're analyzing the state you're in, how much did you have a hand in it and how much didn't you have a hand in it? And that really affects how you approach how you're going to get out of the state you're in. Mm. Yeah, just kind of if you allow yourself to get out of it, in a different way, just if you got un get into it by controlling, maybe just get out of it by relaxing into the flow and just, and and surrendering, like we were talking about. Right. Or if you, in my case, I mean, there's things where, um, you know, I did something harmful to someone that I care about, and in that case, yeah, I created it, and it's like, wow, and I'm really, I really feel horrible about myself that I actually did that, um, and in that case, the the, the suffering is uh, the great means in which to change because personally that's when I've changed the most mm. when I've when I've really been suffering and miserable because of something I did thoughtlessly or, or for whatever reason selfishly or whatever and then I realize how it's affected someone or someone's then you know I really get that that guilt really hits really hard and it's you know well-founded guilt that then I make changes so that I 
I won't ever do something like that again. So when people always say, well, what's the purpose of all this? Is there a purpose of all this or is just, you know, the, just the way it is here? And what I've noticed for my own personal life is that's when I, that's when I changed the most. And so, going along with what you're saying, what would you say you've learned the most from this journey, from writing this book? Um, how has it changed your life? Well, the big thing is that um, I'm just much more aware of uh, where my, where, how much I'm suffering. And what I realized was I would kind of walk around a fair amount in kind of a pissy mood or just a kind of a bad mood or just eh, just kind of like that and and once i started really logging okay what's real what am i really suffering about what is it really suffering you know and taking that internal state and and bring it to the conscious state and saying what is it i realized that i was just i was just often in kind of a a funk mm -hmm. just out of habit mm -hmm. and there was no there was no reason for it and then I started saying well, well, well what I, do I really want to be there and the answer was no and so just ask my wife since I've written a book I've been in a much better mood <laughs> I was just about um, to ask how have people reacted to the new will <laughs> the new will well uh, around the the will household uh, people people like it quite a bit <laughs> And it's like um, part of it for me, I, I say in the book that a lot of people have the notion that if I could get everything in the world the way I want it, if I could create everything the way I want it, I could, if I could get the fame I want, I could get the, the money, the love, the whatever, if I could get everything in my world was exactly the way I wanted it all the time, I would be high forever and I would never suffer. Mm -hmm. And I think most people, to some degree, believe that. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. I feel and so for me, I've, I've had um, a couple software companies that I sold for Boku Bucks, and I did the physics. I, I had to think about wanting to make movies. I made the Bleak movie. You know, all the stuff I wanted to do, um, finally finding my, my sweetheart. Um, I finally, at the age of 62, got married for the first time. Uh -huh. Deirdre. You guys will need to come um, on my show and I can interview you guys <laughs> as a couple. Go oh, on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we did this thing. Um, it would be, you'd probably have a lot of fun with it. Um, it's called the, the Mystic and the Physicist. Oh. Because Deirdre is the mystic. She's been having these visions since she was three years old. And I'm obviously the physicist. Mm -hmm. So we sort of do this George Burns, Gracie Allen thing um, with ideas back and forth and whatnot. So. Anyway, so I got married. So you, you know, got so all everything. All the stuff that I've achieved, I would think, okay, well, what do you have to complain about? You don't have to worry about money. You don't have to da, 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 da. And still, I was in a funky mood. And I realized part of it was I had this belief that once you get everything, you achieve everything, life is supposed to then just be wonderful. Right. And that's just an illusion. Well, because no matter what, no matter what you get or what you achieve, there's still still probably going to suffer. You need to be and happy. And so what inside. I was doing, I was reacting. I was suffering, and then I was getting pissed off because I was suffering because <laughs> I had this notion that I shouldn't cynical. be suffering. Kind yeah. of psycho, if you ask me. Well, I was, so, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, I worry so much about, you know, 
social media and that that's just concept what you're talking about already just the idea of you know I've got to be and I've got to do and this is what you know that idea of like comparing achieving, comparing achieving and, and once I achieve you know let's say a thousand likes or whatever that's when my like you said mm -hmm. it in the book you know yeah. when when you put you know put yourself up in that that idea of like when I achieve when I get to this point I'll yeah. be happy and I will be you know I'll be where I want to be and I won't have any problems and I think I, I, I worry about this new generation yes yeah because they are yeah. so constantly comparing themselves yeah. that's just what they're they've they were brought up with social media yeah. it's, it's dangerous well I I love this whole concept and I, I love that you're telling us an example, how you personally got everything you wanted and there was still something. And what we talk about a lot on this show is, is feeling at peace inside. And you know, we've already talked about in this episode about it's not about the external world. It is about the internal world, about taking that time to really get to know yourself, to live life from your authentic self, to feel at peace in your heart no matter what happens on the outside. That's the key to, I think, yep. to bliss. Yeah. That's that's the key. Yeah. Because all the all the joy, all the happiness, in the end, is always an internal state. Mm -hmm. yes. you, you know, we look outside for it, because again, that's the habit that we all have, and of course, our society really pushes that mm -hmm. very heavily. Um, everyone looks outside, but that, like you're saying, that oh, once I get a thousand likes on Facebook, life will be good. Oh, once I, da da da, and and. You know, a little bit of that, I guess, is, is kind of good to get you working on getting your thousand likes. Right. But don't really believe that by getting right. them, your life is suddenly going to be wonderful. Right. Because, and I think there's that facade, you know, that fake world. Work that way. You know, the, the fake idea. The, you know, it's not real news. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> fake news. So one more question because we need to wrap up. But I think this might go into what we were talking about. Um, you coined the term techno-suffering. What is techno suffering? You say you say it is. Is it really a new category of suffering? Well, <laughs> you tell me. Have right. you ever gone to your computer and gone to do something? But oh my God, that doesn't work because I upgraded my operating <laughs> system. So now let me get. So oh my suffer. God, my my word processor doesn't work with the new operating system. Let me upgrade the word processor okay that's where happy now oh my god they've moved everything around i can't i can't find where ev everything is now oh my god let's blame yeah. the computer <laughs> blame right. it all i mean and the, with the phone with the whole thing so yeah i and now it's first off it's interesting every interview i do people bring up techno suffering mm -hmm. so the fact that everyone brings it up says to me like oh yeah this is this is something here right. but i see it all the time around me that this technology that we've created to make our lives better has actually turned around and done exactly the opposite. And I just mm -hmm. see people working all the time now. There's never time off. People don't spend time with their families. When they get together, you know, you see, uh, you know, you'll be at a restaurant, you'll see a family sitting around there and everyone's on their phones. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, Not connecting. So this sense of community and connection, that's out the window. Mm-hmm. And the, the suffering by comp always being on, always being linked in, always being connected, and then fighting with the technology. I mean, this just happened the other day. I was, I was applying for something online, and I went through this long procedure 
you know, 20 minutes. I had to get information. I put all the stuff in the form, and I hit submit. Yeah. And then it comes back, we are sorry. We are unable to process your request at this <gasps> oh, time. Yeah. Goodbye. Oh, yes. <laughs> Deep breathing moment. So you, you know, and that stuff happens all the time. And guess what, everyone? Because the technology is getting so much more complicated in a relation, and I had two software companies. I know, I, I know what this is like. Because it's getting so complex and because people are always rushing to update stuff and change stuff and quote-unquote make it better, I mean, on a computer now, sometimes you'll, you'll hit the wrong key and you go into this mode and you're like, how the hell did I get in here? So the techno-suffering is because of this technology that's just driving everyone crazy. And then we need and to I have... Think... Sorry, go on. Go ahead. And I just, you know, think that people need to... to Put some limits. Put some limits on this, and say, you know, technology is great, but I'm only going to let it this far into my life because it's basically taking control. And then having no attachment to the outcome. If you fill out a whole form and it doesn't send, okay, so I'll do it later. No attachment to the outcome. <laughs> I well, wasn't supposed you could to do, do it now. That, but you know, in the heat of the moment, again, this is the sort of it's like a it's not major suffering, but yeah, it's like this little nitpicking suffering. Yeah. I mean. Uh, you can get your heart racing. Deirdre, my wife, um, she's dyslexic. So her having to deal with the computer is like oh. nails on the chalkboard for it. But that's yeah. the way society has gone now. Mm -hmm. Everyone does it. Like the old days when you just call someone up and they they take your information over the phone and then it all works. So it's it's the technology. Well, we do need to wrap up, but I just wanted to offer you, um, just wondering if there's anything else you wanted to talk about. I would love you to share with the viewers how they can find your book, anything that you else that you have going on, your website, anything you want to share, basically. Well, the website for the book is howtosuffer.me, um, which I was so thrilled I could get that, howtosuffer.me, <laughs> gets you there. And there's when you go there, there's some reviews. Um, I did... Uh, make a bunch of little two and three minute videos talking about stuff, uh, what the book is about using my filmmaker skills. So those are there. They're kind of fun to watch, I'm told. Um, so that's really where to find out stuff, the book. And of course, um, the gorilla in the marketplace, Amazon, is, um, you know, you can get Fair or Barnes and Noble. And it's, I got a real publisher, so it's in bookstores and all that good stuff. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been one of my favorite shows because I, I just love talking about everything we've been talking about. It's so inspirational, so eye-opening for people. And so just thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been it's that, that 45 minutes or hour just flew right by. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Mucho. Time flies when you're talking about inspirational topics. <laughs> thank there you so you much. Have a great night. Okay, Have a great you too. Bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Have a great night, everyone. You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on L.A. Talk Radio.